Thank you for tuning into the Hacking the Patriarchy podcast. I'm your fervent feminist host, Raven O'Neill, and I get the honors of sitting down with women experts from all walks of life to discuss the ideas, opportunities, and the strategies that women can take advantage of to get ahead in our patriarchal society. So if one of your love languages is learning how to hack patriarchal systems and structures, I invite you to join us and help move the needle. I am thrilled to introduce my very first guest, Dawn Bowes. Dawn is the owner of Become Coaching and loves helping people realize their wildest dreams, create a balanced and meaningful life, and up-level their careers without all the stress. She spent the majority of her career in the education and wellness industries, gaining experiences in areas such as burnout recovery, wellness, and career coaching. While consulting and career coaching are her primary job functions by day, Dawn also enjoys traveling, learning new things, and trying great food. Let's come together and offer Dawn the warmest welcome. Welcome, Dawn. I'm super excited to have you joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to jump into this topic because this is the very first episode and we're going to dive into all the things around feminism and the patriarchy and the topic of interest. Are you ready to dive in? Yes, very excited. Awesome. I think a great starting place is to really look at feminism and the patriarchy and what that definition is. And maybe not the textbook definition, but what is the overarching vibe we're going for with those words? My favorite definition for feminism that I saw on a Facebook post actually was that feminism is the radical belief that a woman is something other than a doormat or a prostitute. And I hold the belief that feminism, it means that women and men are equal, not that women are better than men, not that men are better than women, but we are equal in education and government and the law. And in that way, it also juxtaposes with how we have treated women in the past. And so some of the pushback that I've seen is the belief that when women get rights, it will be taking rights away from other sectors in society, but it's not a zero-sum game. It's just saying that I have the right to show up into these spaces without the belief that my gender is going to get in the way of me understanding the concept or showing up fully and equally um, able to contribute in all spaces. Yeah, I love that zero-sum game. Absolutely. So with that in mind, these ideas of feminism and the patriarchy, even bigger on the patriarchy side, and kind of societal structures, do you feel that men and women show up different in the world based on these structures? I feel like that is really culturally specific. So if we take a look at what our culture um, here in the U.S. has defined as feminine and what cultures across Latin America or in Asia or in Africa define as feminine or feminist, it's really different. And so I think being able to speak about how men and women show up in the world, I think it's really hard to say outside of that wider cultural context what that could look like or what that should look like or how people show up in those spaces feeling like they're able to contribute in the way that they want to. Certainly in the South, because we can't forget that we are located within the context of North Carolina right now. I do believe that women and men show up differently, but I believe from years of education, like working in education, seeing and working with kids as young as five, all the way up to college level, the way that men and women show up differently is a learned behavior and one that changes over the lifespan. Oh man, there are so many ways we can take this conversation with 
you covering that. So th this topic of this podcast is literally hacking the patriarchy. And we talk about the things women can do to get ahead, to maybe have it easier, all the things that might come with being a woman in a patriarchal society. And you just covered that here are these things that were brought up in and all of the different things environmentally, culturally, that might affect how you show up in the world. How might we hack that? How might we change that perspective so that women can show up fully without some of the bias that they were raised in? So if you take a look at eight-year-olds, eight-year-old girls and eight-year-old boys are equally able to perform physical activities. So like a soccer team of eight-year-olds that's co-ed, all of the kids are going to be performing at the same level. Something happens in elementary school that shows girls that they need to be a certain way and shows boys that they need to be a certain way, not even considering uh, kids who are non-binary or who are trans. And so all of these messages that I get about what it means to be a woman I am not defining. It's the culture telling me how they see me. Just this morning, I called a repair guy for my dishwasher, told him that it won't fill up with water. And the first thing that he had me do was turn it on to see if it would fill up with water. I don't listen to people or try my dishwasher with my ovaries. I do it with my hands, just like everyone else does. And so I think that in order for us to show little girls, little boys, little kids who go by they, them, what it means to show up in the world as a full human being, we have to stop seeing them based on their gender. There's a really great website called Sociological Images that shows how marketing towards girls and boys further separates their sense of identity from each other. But what we've also seen is that societies with really stark differences in gender equality and in gender identity have higher incidences of gender-based violence as well. For me, it's not my responsibility to tell people, hey, I'm a woman, but I can also figure out that my dishwasher doesn't fill up with water. I need my whole community to look at me as a human being first and then a woman second or third, depending on where that shows up in my sense of identity. Oh, so many good nuggets there. Obviously, again, going back to the topic of interest with this podcast is hacking the patriarchy. Now I'm thinking, is that the best way? Obviously, we want to go back and redefine things at a younger age and see children as whole beings and who they are and raise them up that way, which is probably a huge uphill battle in itself. But really looking at is teaching women ways to hack the system, the best solution? The way that I approach my career coaching and the way that I approach my counseling is I am fiercely feminist and anti-racist. And we recognize that the people who are at the table making these decisions tend to be cisgender white males of a certain socioeconomic class. In my opinion, you have to do what you need to do in order to get in the room. And sometimes that is for women acting more masculine or acting more white or acting more cisgender male so that you can get into the room and at the table in order to flip it. And when you go through that door, holding the door open for people behind you, making sure that you are engaging in mentorship and showing the other people who share your sense of identity that is not well represented in that room how to survive in those spaces without letting the room eat you alive. Because if you're not at the table, you are on the menu. And so the people who make their way into the room who are not well represented in that room, we have to stick together and make sure that we can stay alive and stay whole and stay with our sense of humanity in a space that is not designed for us. 
if you are not at the table, you're on the menu. Wow. That's a brutal awakening comment, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, that hits. All of these people that we are attempting to get into the room, how do we get into the room? And even more, how do we hold that door open? I do feel like there are rooms where you might get into the room and if you're going to hold the door open, someone is going to slam it on you. A lot of gatekeeping, right? How do we get beyond the gatekeeping? I, I do fully understand how you said, yes, we need to get into the room and then open the door, but I'm sure there's pushback there too. Totally. We aren't already in these spaces because we're not welcome there. I don't necessarily ascribe to the belief that you have to act masculine in order to be successful in business, but sometimes you do have to embody the masculine energy in order to be in the room and seen. I don't know if we are seen with a valued voice, but where your voice is not um, actively silenced. And so embodying some of these things, because we know what the gatekeeper looks like. We know what the bouncer to the room looks like. And so if we can wear the masks that we always that we are always wearing in professional spaces, but wear the mask that will help us get into the room. And then once we're there, we can start shuffling things and start um, instigating things and starting some little fires and seeing what can catch. So the next piece that we really need to consider is intersectionality. You and I, as white women, will have an easier time getting into a white space, even if it's a white masculine space, than our sisters of color. And so this is one way that we would need to hold the door open behind us. So either um, instigating a DEI strategy, making sure that the people who are implementing that DEI strategy, like assuming that we are in a, these board spaces, the people that are implementing that DEI strategy are experts in the field and representative of the people that we would like to bring into the company, but also encouraging companies to see DEI as beyond faces in a room and not only recruiting more folks of color, but also creating an environment of belonging where their ideas and contributions are encouraged and welcome. So this is how I see break down the door, break down those barriers, but this is how we hold the door open. We, with our understanding of what it means to be a woman in a space that is not welcoming for women, we can also recognize that we have a privilege of being white women and continuing to hold the door open for black and brown women as well. Yeah. And non-binary folks. Yeah. I love this because what I just realized, I had an epiphany, is that we are literally introducing Hacking the Patriarchy and we are talking about the very first hack to the system. I was like, oh, a nice little fold in. You also did mention in that previous comment about DEI and also the rooms that we can get into. DEI is currently getting a fair amount of pushback. It's become very polarized. How do we still move forward with it, but get past this pushback or do we just plow through it? So there's a couple of different things that I consider in on on one level, people want to recognize diversity in these spaces as long as it's not a diversity of ideas and as long as it doesn't challenge the status quo. This is less about race and class and gender as it is about systems of power. And if your whole boardroom looks like you and you believe that they all share an identity, you're going to believe that they're going to be in line with what you want the company to be or how you want the company to grow. And you will only invite other faces that don't look like yours as long as their sense of thought is aligned with yours. As a teacher and as a social worker, 
I, and as a white woman from North Carolina who comes from North Carolina for generations, I no longer care whether or not people are racist or not. We need policies that protect people and that enforce diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and active anti-racism. Yes, I say let's flip tables and let's push it through. I am not interested in waiting for someone to come along and I'm not interested in waiting for hearts and minds to change because from experience, they don't. So I personally am all for let's enact policy that promotes human rights, that promotes equality, that promotes equality for everyone, regardless of your identity. And we as white women also need to remember intersectionality and the various identities that people hold, not only with race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, language of origin. We need to remember intersectionality while we are promoting equality for everyone. Yeah. I love that. You made so many points there that I want to make sure we dive into. The things that really stuck out to me is that those things aren't going to change because DEI to some of these companies and some people is, again, it's just like a mask. Mm -hmm. I want you to look a certain way, but I don't want you to think a certain way. Or I want you to think a certain way, but I don't want you to look a certain way. And it's in the name of doing it so you can say you did it, but not actually doing the work. Or Right, it's a badge. Yeah. But then you talked about policy, which to me, I was like, oh, policy. But policy to me, as I see like years, like it just takes forever for policies to enact and to change. So what other hacks might be out there? I think about times when public pushes back. Perfect example. I don't eat at Chick-fil-A. That's one way I personally boycott. But What about other ways, other hacks? We're obviously not going to change some people. We're not going to change some companies. Let's not focus our energy there. Let's work on some policies. But if that's slow going, what are other ways we can hack the system? I love that you started off with boycotting because I think we forget. So North Carolina is the instigation point for the sit-in movement. And the only reason why the sit-in movement succeeded was not because all of a sudden these restaurant owners realized the error of their ways. It was because it hit them in their pocket. And this is absolutely um, a way that consumers and the public have a lot of power. And that is where we choose to spend our money and where we choose to spend our time. We can't forget that right now as well, um, we have a a monetary economy, but we also have an attention economy that has gotten quite a bit of attention with um, documentaries like The Social Network and that kind of thing. So where we spend our time, where we spend our attention um, and our attention in terms of ad space. So who do you block? Whose ads do you block on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram? And then boycotting and leveraging the money that we have in choosing who who we buy from. But the other thing that I think is really important to remember is that politics only moves slow because there are people who are invested in showing that the system doesn't work because that benefits them politically. So in North Carolina, for example, We voted for Obama for the first time um, in 2009, and I believe it was 2012 when um, the Supreme Court showed that North Carolina had surgically, with surgical precision, gerrymandered the state to make sure that the Republicans could stay in power. So we currently have a Democratic governor and a Republican um, state Congress and, and state government, but that is not reflective of the people who live here or their interests. While policy might be 
slow. I think it's slow in the same way that these boardrooms are slow. People are gatekeeping, making sure that they put on this star sticker of DEI where we hire people who might look differently, but the ideology stays the same because that is what maintains the status quo. So I think definitely boycotting, choosing where you spend your money, choosing where you spend your time, and also um, recognizing that our politics are moving really slow intentionally because there are people with vested interests in keeping the status quo the way that it is through gerrymandering and through things that should be illegal. Yeah. I don't want to take this too far down the political hole. I'm like, that is a whole other episode all to itself. Let's look at some hacks in regards to people outside the community. So obviously there are the gatekeepers, there are all of that. There are those of us trying to open doors, get indoors, doing all the things, but then there are also all of the other allies, all of the other people that are hopefully, ideally, in allyship for each other, especially when it comes to minorities and other marginalized groups. So what kind of hacks might let's not even call them hacks. What are innovative ways outside of what we've already covered that allies can support each other? I think so. One of the most important things that I remember learning about is that when we hold identities of privilege, we are not giving voice to the voiceless because people are not being silent. They're being silenced. If we find ourselves in position of the mic, we need to pass it. We need to create space on the stage, space in the room, space in the boardroom for folks to speak because they are speaking. We're just not listening. So in terms of us being allies to other folks who are marginalized in these spaces, I think being aware of whose voices are being heard, whose voices are not being heard, whose identities are present in those spaces, whose identities are not, and making sure that we first as individuals are leading by example and looking for and listening to voices that are different than ours, not only in visible identity, but also invisible identities, differences in ideology, differences in belief and religion and perspective. You had just talked about they are speaking, we're just not hearing them. They're not silent, they're silenced, which yes. I think is so important when you're thinking about Again, let's just use the boardroom, for example. You've got the gatekeepers, status quo, and there's no effort to change or move it forward. But then you have the people that are advocating and attempting to get voices heard and they're doing the work. If there's no work around do, and you're not making any progress, do you leave it and put your efforts elsewhere? How do I take a step forward? There's just too much going on. And I'm like, how do I make an impact when I'm stuck in analysis paralysis. I think this is a really good opportunity to remember the difference between the zone of excellence and the zone of genius. There is something that you're really good at, and then there's something that you are really good at, and it refills your cup. And we are not all going to be good at everything. And so in the spaces that you're in, making sure that the doors are open for other people, making sure that you're aware of who is there and who isn't, but in your spaces, making sure that those of us who do have the right to vote do vote and holding politicians accountable. So it's not just vote blue no matter who, it's making sure that the people who are on the ballot are worthy and deserving of being there. But I think that this is a really good opportunity to step back into the idea of what masculine energy and what feminine energy is in this space, because the idea of pushing through and being really active and not really listening, this is how I've come to see this more like 
active masculine energy versus the feminine energy, which allows you to be in flow, allows you to grow and allows for a sense of breath. It is not a coincidence that men in our culture die much younger than women. And I do believe that part of it is staying in that sense of hustle, staying in that sense of striving without giving yourself, your spirit, your body, a place to rest and a place to recognize where that zone of genius is and leveraging that. We really want to focus on working smarter, not harder. And people who are invested in maintaining the status quo are also invested in creating distractions and creating obstacles that are really small and not worth our time. And so for me, it takes a deep sense of inner knowing, which has to come from rest. Because if your car has some funny noise or some light comes on, you can't just keep driving it or pretending like it's not there. You have to pull over so that someone can take a look. And so this is where I see for myself, if I'm recognizing that I am getting close to burnout or if I'm striving or pushing beyond what I'm able to do, I need to pull over so that I will be more effective. No one wins if I burn out and decide I'm a white lady. I have quite a bit of privilege in this society. I'm just going to not focus on this anymore. But no one wins either if I try to become a martyr and try to push my way through in spaces where I am being actively distracted and given some sort of treat that I think is an easy way through. um, And I'm not able to show up in my zone of genius, enacting the work that I am best suited to do towards a world of um, justice and equity. Oh, I love it. That was such a good analogy. So true to pull over. Okay, getting back to the Hacking the Patriarchy podcast, this is going to be season one, which is based on career. So leaning into the way we exist as women and that feminine energy in our careers and learning some hacks. How can we take that, use that, toss it, all the things? What might your initial thoughts on hacking the patriarchy and career look like and what might be your top three recommendations not even diving into the subject matter because all the other guests are subject matter experts in each of the steps of career that we've decided to cover just being that first guest what are your three hacks Absolutely. So the old adage is still very true. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I feel like women get stuck in this idea of, I have to continue to up-level, I have to continue to upskill so that I can prove that I'm worthy of being in the room because we forget that the door has been slammed in our face in order to maintain the status quo. In the vein of it's not what you know, it's who you know, networking is the most important thing that you can do to get that next position or to up-level in your career. And so networking is also something that women in our culture are really attuned to because we're really good listeners. We're really good at reading the room. We're really good at reading the other person that we're talking to and finding ways that we can give back while we're simultaneously asking for other connections in the industry or job that we want. So number one would be networking. And number two, I would say is something that I learned from the conscious leadership group. And this is listening for that whole body. Yes. The economy and the job market that we're in right now is super stressful, but knowing where you are 
best positioned to be, where you're best positioned to show, to highlight and showcase your skills is going to feel a little queasy as you listen to your body, which again is something that women are in our culture are much better attuned to than men are. So listening for, do I have any doubts about this? Am I able to breathe through it when I think about this next job opportunity, whether it's a promotion or a career shift, or whether you're jumping back into the workforce after a pause for folks who have been stay-at-home moms and then listening to your gut. What is my intuition telling me about this? In our culture, we don't value intuition as much and men value it even less, but it can save you so much headache and so much work if we lean into that whole body yes. So number one, networking. Number two, listening for the whole body yes. And then number three, remembering that women are fiercely powerful. We don't have great examples in our culture of the goddesses that they have in other countries and other cultures and other areas in the world. But there's this great book called The Alphabet and the Goddess where it talks about humanity's shift from being a goddess-based or having goddess-based spirituality to a more like patriarchal, even within our religion and in our spirituality. And some of the more ancient goddesses were complete badasses. They were fierce. They were strong. They were warriors. All of these things that we currently attribute to masculinity. And we as a culture have shifted into, oh, women are weak. You're just receptive. You're just a good listener. But we have all of these aspects of us. And if you think about Hinduism, for example, one goddess has several different faces where you're not only the goddess of like learning and knowledge, but you're also the fierce goddess that is often depicted as a monster because all of these things, all of these aspects are part of what it means to be a human being. And so we as women in this culture need to remember that all of these are aspects of ourselves that can be called on at any time in order to best help us meet the demands that the situation that we're in calls for. I love it. Networking. What was the second one? It was networking, like networking. The whole body, yes. And remembering that you are a goddess. I can't believe I forgot the whole body. Yes. If it isn't a hell yes, it is probably a no. Love those three. Is there anything that we didn't cover yet that you really feel is pertinent to this conversation that you want to make sure we dive into? I think it's really important to remember that while women are coming into our sense of power, we can't forget that men also have a right to be weak. They have a right to lean into their feminine energy without us shaming them as well. Men get a lot of shame from performing behaviors that tend to be attributed to women and women also contribute to that. Right now in one of the the big global conflicts, we're talking about the child mortality rate, but we forget that children need parents too. And children need both of their parents. Even if you think about the Titanic, something that's maybe a little bit less controversial, the push was to save the women and children. But oh my God, during those times, did those women need their men because they weren't allowed to work outside of the house? Sure, because men made those rules, but the kids need both of their parents. And we as women need to also create space for men. And this is why I don't ascribe to the belief that, oh, this needs to be a feminine only space. There, I believe that there has to be room for men because if not, we're going to continue to contribute to the feelings of resentment, the feelings of being pushed aside. And that is going to make the men who are still in these spaces dig in their heels more and close more doors because they're afraid of getting kicked out of these rooms. 
we as women are used to holding space for our families, holding space for society, literally keeping whole societies alive by being the ones who raise children and bake bread, like a society would collapse without that. And so recognizing that we don't have to force ourselves into these spaces, we are already these really powerful beings. And because we know ourselves and because we know our worth, we don't feel threatened by the men who are in those spaces and we create space for them. Oh, I love it. What I heard there, which I used to hate hearing that when other people are like, what I'm hearing you say is, um, <laughs> there, there's a whole lot of balance in that statement, a whole lot of balance, because it's so true, like you pointed out, leaning into feminine emotions or what we consider feminine emotions, I should say, leaning into that. But there's also on that other end, society pushes them, you know, man up, be a man. Um, So striving for balance. And then again, striving for balance, even within ourselves as women, the children we raise, the society we bring up, just kind of a balance. It doesn't, it's not a zero sum game. It's not me versus you. It is let's find a balance. Yeah. And the only way out is in. In order to dismantle these systems of oppression, we have to look inward first and find all of the spaces and to be humble enough to recognize that when we grow up in a patriarchal and racist society, there must be spaces where that has kind of gotten into our subconscious. And so with that sense of humility, we'll be able to listen to people when they say, hey, that was machista, like what's going on? Or hey, that was racist, what's going on? So that we can continue to grow and evolve because what we see in the outer world is a manifestation of our inner world. And for me, the most important thing to do, yes, also act, but make sure that you're dismantling the patriarchy from the inside out. Oh, I love it. Okay. We can't do anything else. We have to end it there because that is too good. (laughs) (laughs) So if our listeners want to learn more about you, want to connect, how do they do that? You can find me on my website. My name is Dawn Bowes. It's dawnbowes.com. So Dawn, like the soap, and then my last name is B as in boy, O-W-E-S as in Sam. So dawnbowes.com, you can find all of my contact information and all of the things that I'm up to on there. I love it. And we'll put those in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, enjoying this podcast, being my first guest, making all the magic. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about this project that you're doing, and I can't wait to hear all of the other guests that you have on. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For all the juicy deets on this episode, be sure to check out our show notes or give us a holler on Instagram at Hacking the Patriarchy Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support this podcast, don't be shy. Please share it with your friends. Sharing is caring after all. Lastly, if you'd like to lend your personal support, please take a moment to tell the world about it with a review on your favorite streaming platform. We'd be forever grateful. Tune in again soon to enjoy a brand new episode of the Hacking the Patriarchy podcast. And until next time, keep on hacking, my friends. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that this isn't my only feminist endeavor? That's right. There's more. I run a media startup dedicated to providing the most current and pertinent news about women, for women, and by women. Our mission centers on delivering a platform where the latest updates regarding women-led initiatives are extensively covered, highlighting women's actions, accomplishments, perspectives, and other elements that profoundly influence women's lives and contribute to meaningful progress. I invite you to head over to femled.news to learn more.